This broadcast is brought to you by Integrity Staffing Solutions. At Integrity, we're passionate about connecting great talent with great companies across North America. For more information on how our custom, flexible workforce solutions can help solve your biggest challenges, visit us online at integritystaffing.com. We're now listening to HR Liftoff in three, Hi, welcome back to HR Liftoff. This is your host, Megan Couch. Um, I welcome Nancy Murphy to our podcast this week. Um, Nancy is the founder and president of CSR Communications and the creator of Entrepreneurs Influence Lab. Uh, Nancy's passion is to teach others how to make organizational change stick. So welcome to the show, Nancy. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and we can explain what entrepreneurship is. I had to practice it before I got on with you. Entrepreneurship. You're doing very well. Gold star. (laughs) Listen, everyone, I can speak. Listen to me, but very different (laughs) from entrepreneurship. So please, though, give us a little bit about your background. Well, I am a Catholic school girl from the Midwest originally, spent 16 years in Catholic school, which I think is where I started my status quo challenging and learning how to influence and enroll allies to lead change. Since then, I came to the Washington, D.C. area via Minnesota and um, after grad school uh, to work in the Clinton administration and to help create the national service program, AmeriCorps, and some K-12 service learning programs there. And I kept finding myself throughout my career in these internal change agent roles. Either I was hired to lead change or I just would get inside the organization and see things that I thought we could do better see opportunities where maybe others saw challenges. And after so many years of doing that, I realized I had learned some lessons and some things maybe not to do (laughs) and that I wanted to be able to share those lessons with others. And that's when I started CSR Communications and eventually created the lab, which is really designed to help those internal change leaders realize their vision for change faster with less frustration and resistance. So what I love about reading about you and, you know, and you guys emphasize this is that you work with teams and organizations with a social purpose. Um, so clearly your background led to that, you know, I hear AmeriCorps, but what would that mean to an organization that's listening? So for our HR managers out there and for our you know, CEOs of small businesses as well, like what can they take from that? Well, so first of all, I think almost any HR person is inherently a social purpose leader because they're the ones most responsible on a day-to-day basis for the well-being of the people inside the organization. So their team is inherently, I mean, yes, I know they process benefits and, you know, enforce all the labor laws and those things, which maybe are not always the most exciting parts of the job for a lot of folks, but they're really responsible for that human resource, right? That those people inside the organization. So I would say, first of all, all human resource folks are social purpose leaders. When it comes to social purpose organizations, I've always said that we're 
at CSR Communications, we're kind of tax status agnostic. Like, I don't care if you're a for-profit, if you're a 501c3, if you're a city government, Mm -hmm. if the team inside your organization that we're working with, or if your organization overall has sort of a, a socially conscious mission. So we'll work with sustainability teams inside large global companies, for example, or the corporate foundation, or the community engagement team, or the HR folks, or the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, or the DEI officer, or the chief strategy officer that's trying to figure out maybe a new, um, more sustainable, ethical, responsible way of meeting the company's purpose or the company's mission. So it's a pretty broad definition. So, and I'm glad you mentioned DEI. Uh, and in reading some of, of what you guys provide as well, and I think folks would be interested to hear this. So an entrepreneur insight series. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think right now a lot of folks are thinking, well, we have a DEI strategy. Yes. Uh, and I could show it to you on this paper. And yeah. there are phases on this paper that are more than likely supposed to be followed, uh, which is a nice initial roadmap, but I don't know how far folks are actually into that. But you guys help with that. Well, so we are not diversity, equity, and inclusion experts, but we are organizational change experts. And what is a DEI strategy if not changing your organization, right? The mindsets, Mm -hmm. the behaviors, the practices to be more inclusive, to recruit a more diverse pool of employees or leaders or board members. So while we're not the experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, we are the experts in organizational change. And this series that you were talking about kind of marries two perspectives to give people some really actionable insights. So last fall, we released a paper called Beyond Proclamations and Positions to Persistent Practice. Because one of my biggest frustrations is when organizations, when leaders make these grand gestures around some area of change, but they don't follow it up with the small strategic sustained action that make that change real. And I think we've seen this over and over again in the last couple of years when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So a couple of cool things that came out of that paper, you know, one just related to that is this idea of the expectation experience gap. So now that we're making these bold proclamations, right? Around 50% of our senior leaders are going to be women or people of color by 2023, or, you know, we're investing a hundred million dollars into BIPOC led community organizations in our, in the areas where we do business. Great. Now you've created this expectation of what kind of organization you are and what it's going to be like to work with you or for you. And you hire folks or you bring in new partners or customers, maybe their experience doesn't match the expectation you've created with your grand gesture. Now, do you see with your experience in this space, because of that expectation that folks, of course, there's been the the great resignation, but do you think that that also comes into play? Because so many people now are looking for a cultural fit 
of where they're going to go. You know, it's not not job jumping. It's actually where do I want to work and how do I want to work? And especially with what the companies are offering. So if we're, we're saying 50% are going to be women and you don't have, I think what I take is a very succinct plan to get there, at least to show folks uh, that that may be part of the reason that they might not want to stay. So I think a plan is part of it. And what what we say in the paper is, are you articulating very clearly and consistently your time frame for change, right? So if your organization mm-hmm. is not the model of an inclusive culture, an equitable workplace that you want it to be, are you clear that, you know, change takes time and this we're on a five-year horizon? Because I think what often happens is people hear these grand gestures, right? And they think that means when I walk in the door tomorrow, it's going to be different. Mm. And so having the plan is okay if people understand that that plan is a five-year plan or whatever. I would also say, though, that having the plan is not enough. Even implementing the plan as it's written on paper, is not enough. This is why I am so adamant about this idea of change leadership, not change management. Because change management implies that we have this plan, there are clear phases, we have a checklist. We, you know, we if we right. just follow the Gantt chart and yep. move through the plan, like hallelujah, we've achieved our result. Except guess what? And your HR leaders who are listening know this better than anyone. Organizations are made up of people and people are messy, emotional beings. And if we don't factor in the psychological triggers that make change hard, the resistance we're going to encounter and what's underneath it, if we don't factor in the human element, because organizations are only organizations by virtue of the people. It's the people who have the behaviors, the mindsets, right, that we need to change. And so what are the subtle signals that we're sending that are aligned with the change or not? And, you know, that's where we can get into those artifacts that we often leave behind that may or may not be on your plan (laughs) to address them. And so we can talk a little bit more about what we mean by that and what some examples are and how they send signals that kind of conflict. So, and I think this leads to actually one of my questions, um, and this is a good one, and this is your wording of why organizations need to be more like Indiana Jones. And I will throw this in there. Um, I told Nancy, this is one of my mother's favorite movie series. So, you know, mom, if you're listening, hopefully as always, kudos to you. Uh, but um, what does that mean? Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of HR Liftoff. If you love what you're hearing, or you have a topic to suggest, Make sure to let us know. We appreciate your feedback as always. Now back to the show. So what we mean by that is leaders need to, like Indiana Jones, okay, mom, I'm sure you're familiar with, he goes on these quests, right? He is relentless in his pursuit of artifacts. He goes on an archaeological dig. He goes in search of something with a passion until he achieves it. So as leaders inside organizations that are striving for change, we need to go on an archaeological dig for artifacts, which are as we move forward with any change, 
we leave little things behind that tell us who and what we value, what matters, and how things really get done. And sometimes they conflict with the change we want. So let's talk about some examples. So we were brought in to work with a global nonprofit that was struggling to retain women leaders. So women would get to a certain level inside the organization and right before they were going to get promoted, they would leave. And they did what a lot of organizations do. These are smart things, but they're not enough. They started a mentoring program Mm -hmm. and they um, created a gender council to advise the CEO, but those things weren't working. So we came in with our proprietary excavation process and we identified a bunch of artifacts, but two that really stand out for me were um, regular 7.30 a.m. leaders meetings and shout outs at the start of every staff meeting that all consistently sounded something like, Megan, huge shout out to you and your entire team for working around the clock last week on that big proposal. Way to go. Made all the difference. Now, sometimes when I share these examples with men, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, 730, that's great because it's before the day gets started and things don't get in the way. So, you know, you can always get everybody at the meeting. And don't you want to recognize people for hard work? Well, of course you do. But what are the subtle signals that those things are sending? They're saying, I can't meet my family obligations and my work obligations if I'm at a certain level in the organization. Or if I want to start a family, this is going to be really hard because what do we celebrate every week at our staff meetings? We celebrate people who work around the clock. We celebrate Mm. the going. We don't celebrate the team. Hey, Megan. Huge kudos to you and your entire team for realizing that if we went after that proposal, it was going to mean you had to work around the the clock for the entire week. So you decided not to pursue it. Or, hey, Megan, kudos to you and your team for realizing that and then deciding that we needed to reevaluate our systems so that we got earlier alerts about proposals coming down the pipe and that we created a more efficient process for getting them done so that nobody has to work around the clock, right? Those weren't the things we were celebrating. So those are artifacts. They send subtle signals. Now, the best part, fixing those didn't require any special authority and it didn't cost a dime. It's just deciding we're going to do something different. So what is the biggest resistance to change that you see. Like, that's a great example. Uh, and even as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're right. The initial reactions are like, we'll get it before the day started, like before you get sucked into email, meetings, back to backs. It's like, all right, I can fit more in, you know, right. to do this, you know, kind right. of mentality where it's like you're searching for a way to work smarter and not harder. Yeah. Um, And the other piece, I think, and I had a great leader tell me this, um, you praise five times as much as you provide constructive feedback. You know, Mm. so you you have to find a way to do that meaningfully, you know, not just like, great job, saw you on this the other day. Right, Um, right. Which also, I think, is profoundly also has to do with the connection that you have with folks in your team, too, the sincerity of it. But um, I firsthand know that, you know, change, yes, of course, is hard for everyone. But in this aspect, what do you see as the bigger resistance? Have you come up against ones where you're like, come on, man, like this can't, this can't be it. 
Like you can't be this resistant to this one piece, you know, like we're just getting started. <laughs> like anything like that. Well, so first off, I think, let me, let me answer generally about a couple of things uh, with resistance. Number one, resistance is rarely about the thing that gets articulated as resistance. Mm, fair. Yes. Okay. So how do we, I mean, this is another way we can be like Indiana Jones and dig down, right? We want to know as leaders, our number one skill is listening and getting curious and not furious in the face of pushback. Because if we're willing to listen and to ask the right questions and be truly open and receptive, we will learn that what's being articulated on the surface is not really what the resistance is about. And until we learn that, we can't do anything about it. So that's the first thing. And sort of related to that is if we think about as change leaders, our initial reaction is always to hate resistance, right? And to want to respond to resistance with more resistance. So then we just get this like push, 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 and the wall gets higher and you know it, nobody wins in that scenario. If we instead view resistance as the gift that it truly is, then we can do something with it. So I always say, think about resistance to change. Like when you go to the gym and you're strength training, right? Like you're intentionally using resistance to make you stronger. So when we get resistance to change inside our organizations, we can use it to make our ideas stronger, to illuminate blind spots but only if we see it as the gift that it is instead of reacting, like rolling our eyes. Oh, these people are just negative. Why don't they get on board? They're stuck mm -hmm. in the mud. They just, you know, they love the status quo. And I will tell you that all of us are resistant to change in some aspects of our lives. So even those of us, you know, who, who have the intrapreneurial mindset, where we think we love innovation, we love change, we love breaking things and disrupting there. I guarantee you there is some part of your life where you're resistant to change. <laughs> and so we just need to be empathetic, right? That we might be excited about this particular change and someone else isn't, but in another area, we're probably the resistor. So how can we have empathy in that situation? So what would you tell, and let's get back to that. So intrapreneurial spirit, yes, versus entrepreneurial spirit. You notice I slowed down. I was like, I'm going to get this right now. <laughs> Gold star though, you yeah, got Yeah, I'm right. going to do this. Listen, how was my addiction? Uh, <laughs> so for and those listening, and especially I would say, and we have associates that are listening to along with our managers. Um, so what is the, I'd say the couple defining variances between the two? And if I, if I was somebody listening, I'd be like, well, I want to be entrepreneurial. Like, yeah. what would that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So entrepreneurs are basically folks who are changing established legacy organizations from within. So an entrepreneur will lead change by going outside the organization, going outside the system, kind of disrupting, innovating from outside. But intrapreneurs bring that entrepreneurial spirit, that innovation, the disruptive mindset, and they are changing organizations from within. So similar mindsets and skills, but where I see the power of intrapreneurs is entrepreneurs 
may have little impact at first, right? Their reach is going to be small at first and it may never scale. But an intrapreneur, they're leveraging the reach, the scope, the scale, the financial resources, the expertise, right? The talent of a very large organization in many cases. And by very large, like, I mean, it doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of people, right? But if we can have those organizations be more equitable, more socially responsible, more innovative, more environmentally responsible, we're going to have the world we want faster, right? Because they're already at scale. So I see the entrepreneurs as the unsung heroes of organizational change. I'm going to try and connect two different, I think, listeners that we have right now. So if I was a manager listening and an associate of ours uh, that was working, and I'm thinking I would like to try this entrepreneurial spirit. And let's say it's very... I'll give a specific one, you know, for social responsibility. And maybe I'm working somewhere and I think, well, I'm focusing on maybe it's pallets and like, are these sustainable and what's their Mm. supply chain? And like, where do they come from? What happens after they go to be recycled? Are they recycled? Is that a good way for folks to think about it? Just in a small capacity in that example. Absolutely. That's a perfect way to think about it. And I always say that intrapreneurs, there's not like a a certain title or level or role that somebody has to have. Intrapreneurs often have informal authority, right? Mm -hmm. So they might be very influential in a certain sphere inside the organization. They might have formal authority. It might be the very top of, you know, the C-suite and everything in between. So intrapreneur is more about the mindset and the approach and how do you become more influential in your organization and what risks are you willing to take to advocate around that versus- Thanks for listening to this episode of HR Liftoff. At Integrity, we believe opportunity is everything. We take an associate first approach because when our associates succeed, our clients succeed. Whatever you need, we're ready to support. We partner with clients large and small to deliver custom staffing solutions that provide the cost, service, and scalability efficiencies you need to stay competitive. Learn more at integritystaffing.com.